Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. Proficiency in Comprehension The Satipatthana is the Buddha's instructions for the practice of contemplation of the Dhamma. In Satipatthana practice, we spend a lot of time sitting in meditation in the middle of selflessness, impermanence, and all those things that produce suffering. We also pick out Dhamma teachings like the aggregates and try to get at the bottom of them. It is the historical source of modern vipassana or insider mindfulness meditation. Last week I isolated what I called the Satipatthana method which is given a very prominent position in the Satipatthana Sutta. It consists of ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and non-distractedness. It turns out that these are really the art of skillfulness, something we want to have in a sword fight, when racing a car, when cooking a delicious meal, when studying for an exam, when playing the violin, or when practicing Buddhist ethics or wisdom. Ardency is the energy and motivation in our practice. Comprehension is the attentive understanding of what we are dealing with in the present moment of practice. Proficiency is the know-how that we bring to bear on the task at hand that we've learned in the past. Proficiency is how I translate sati, which is what virtually everyone else calls mindfulness. And non-distractedness is what it sounds like, keeping your mind on the ball. What more do we need to succeed in our present endeavor? I ended last week by observing that the word satipatthana curiously describes not the Satipatthana practice, it does not mention contemplation, but rather the Satipatthana method, the art of skillfulness. The word is a compound of Sati plus Upatana. Sati is proficiency, clearly part of the method. I was about to look at the second word of the compound Satipatthana, at the end of last week's talk. Actually, two alternative etymologies have been proposed. Sati plus Patana, foundation establishment, or Sati plus Upatana, attending. In the first etymology, favored in the Pali commentaries, the word Patana is literally Pa plus Tana, fourth plus standing, hence foundation or establishment. In the alternative etymology, the word upatana rather than patana 
in which the U is elided to produce the ambiguous compound, is literally upa, close, plus tana, standing. Hence, something like caring for, attending to, standing close. Most modern scholars seem now to agree that the second analysis is correct for several reasons. The equivalent of Satipatthana in Sanskrit Buddhist text is Smritiyupasthana, which is unambiguously built on the cognate of Upatana, not Patana. Second, the Jaran form Patana does not occur by itself in the early texts. And thirdly, the other inflections of the verb upatahati routinely occur in association with sati. For instance, upatita sati, attentive proficiency. In fact, in the description of the very first exercise in the Satipatthana Sutta, we have the phrase parimukkang sating upatapitwa, having attended proficiently to what is in front. Some translate this as having established mindfulness in front. This confuses patana and upatana and misunderstands sati. Here, parimukkang, what is up front, that is, what is relevant to the task at hand, is the object of the verb, and sating is an adverbial accusative. I'll translate upatana as attentiveness, which connotes more active engagement than attending, and the whole compound satipatana as proficiency attentiveness. So satipatana means literally proficiency attentiveness. Picture a nurse standing close to her patient in order to attend his needs caringly, alert, sensitive, and centered. This is upatana. In her attentiveness, she brings all of her training and knowledge to bear to the assessment of his needs in order to respond appropriately. This is sati. Likewise, a yogi sits close to experiential factors in the present practice situation. Raw sense impressions, the arising of feelings, of ill will, and so on, with the same attentiveness. This is upatana. In attending to her experiential world, the yogi brings her dhammic proficiency to bear in order to interpret her experiences and to recognize the conditions by which they arise. This is sati. Notice that the etymology of the compound, satipatthana, reflects quite closely the satipatthana method itself, but only incidentally the practice of contemplation, anupasana, through its incorporation of the satipatthana method. Even though the term satipatthana is almost always used with reference to the practice, to avoid confusion, I'll clearly distinguish in what follows the Satipatthana method from the Satipatthana contemplative practice. 
proficiency comprehension. We should note that sati upatana, proficiency attentiveness, exists alongside another similar and common compound, sati sampajanya, proficiency comprehension. Notice that the second compound refers to the two central factors of the Satipatthana method and thereby alludes to the method. This compound occurs widely, for instance, in association with contemplation. This is Nanda's proficiency comprehension. Nanda knows feelings as they arise, as they remain present, as they disappear. He knows perceptions as they arise, as they remain present, as they disappear. He knows thoughts as they arise, as they remain present, as they disappear. That is Nanda's proficiency comprehension. And here is proficiency comprehension with shame and conscience. Bhikkhus, when there is no proficiency comprehension, for one deficient in proficiency comprehension, shame and conscience lack their proximate cause. And here it is with sense restraint. Restraint of the sense faculties, too, I say, has a nutriment. It is not without a nutriment. And what is the nutriment for restraint of the sense faculties? It should be said, proficiency comprehension. I dare say proficiency comprehension in its natural form is a ubiquitous faculty of general human cognition. One that you're employing right now as you listen to these words. Your active proficiency includes your ability to understand English sounds, your linguistic ability in English syntax and semantics, your knowledge of Buddhism, and so on. Everything you have to bring to mind to comprehend what I am saying. Your comprehension lies in the meanings you assign to sentences and concepts, their integration into right view, and so on. Proficiency and comprehension are always inseparably linked, like two sides of one coin, simply angled in opposite directions. There is no comprehension without the activation of proficiency, and proficiency is pointless if it doesn't lead to comprehension. Moreover, even as proficiency informs comprehension, comprehension extends and refines future proficiency. Scholars have repeatedly pointed in the direction of this faculty in their accounts of sati. Rhys Davids, who coined the translation mindfulness 14 decades ago, noted the constantly repeated phrase mindful and thoughtful, sato sampajanyo, that activity of mind and constant presence of mind 
which is one of the duties most frequently inculcated on the good Buddhist. Shulman describes sati in terms of the fusion of memory and attention, and tenisero in terms of active memory that provides an immediate framework for understanding experience and what has to be done in this regard. Elsewhere, sati is seen as a faculty of memory that bears in mind the Dhamma in a manner relevant to the practitioner's spiritual quest. Dreyfus discusses sati from the perspective of cognitive science in terms of working memory as a natural cognitive function. Proficiency comprehension works as an interplay in which the first factor constrains and shapes the second top-down, and the second, with respect to the current situation, activates new proficiencies bottom-up and challenges the expectations of prior learning and experience. Moreover, proficiency acquires new know-how for future reference from what it learns from the comprehension of the current situation, as well as from a process of internalization, whereby declarative or conceptual know-how migrates through use to intuitive or embodied responsiveness to situations akin to muscle memory that require much less cognitive effort. For instance, consider how difficult driving a vehicle was in the early weeks when your proficiency was very low. It demanded your full attention to the driving conditions, and even that was not enough because you weren't able to sort your experience out of the swirl of cars, curbs, street signs, bikes, kites, angry drivers honking behind and pedestrians scattering in front into plans of action with so little top-down contribution of proficiency. However, with time, your proficiency in this area became so internalized that your current ability to drive is quite spontaneous and largely effortless. Working memory is a theoretical model that makes sense of how processes like proficiency comprehension work cognitively. Our various proficiencies are part of long-term memory, results of comprehension of short-term memory. Working memory is that part of memory that is activated for easy access as required to perform the current task or practice. Basically, proficiencies and comprehension relevant to the current stage of the current task are activated together in working memory. Now, memory in general is associative. Things are active in working memory because they have close associations with other things that are in working memory. This explains how proficient expectations about the current situation will tend to excite any details that verify those expectations and how newly comprehended conditions may excite previously inactive proficiencies. 
This model gives us an understanding of attention as well as the scope of what is currently active and working memory at a given time, which is ideally relevant to or centered around the current practice task and is narrow or as broad at any given time as the task demands. This scope is what has been brought to mind and is now kept in mind. Focused or one-pointed attention, certainly manifest in human cognition, is sometimes also built into the model in terms of a special or higher state of activation. As mentioned, attentiveness is an area in which Buddhist practice seeks to develop and cultivate the raw human faculty of proficiency comprehension. A perhaps surprising correlation in common human cognition is that higher proficiency generally means greater scattering of attention. Consider how you now talk on the phone, eat lunch, listen to the radio, text, honk at inept drivers, and lean out the window to flirt with pedestrians all while you are driving. Your attention has become scattered. With increased proficiency, driving has lost its challenge and in itself is somewhat boring, so you look elsewhere to occupy yourself. The resulting surplus of available cognitive energy has become allocated to additional tasks, that is, we multitask or simply dispersed into nothing useful in particular. This natural tendency in human cognition towards reallocating surplus attention makes one a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, which must have carried a fitness advantage in our ancestral environment. However, Buddhist practice seeks to reverse this tendency, for the Buddha Dhamma shares a characteristic found in the many arts, including martial arts, haute cuisine, sculpture, or music. We are intent on virtuosity so that our performance is optimized and our proficiency develops continuously and single-mindedly beyond mere adeptness. In this way, we progress on the path with time and training to become a wizard of wisdom and a virtuoso of virtue. As in these other arts, we develop and cultivate the simple proficiency comprehension of the worldling into something more refined, primarily by controlling attentiveness which is what makes the Satipatthana method the art of skillfulness. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org. C-I-N-T-I-T-A